We are back. We are here. We are talking about the paranormal. It's Spooky South Coast returning after having last week off for Salem Con. Tonight we're going to be talking about the Boggy Creek Monster. We're going to be talking, we're going to go beyond Boggy Creek, but we're also going to start at Boggy Creek before we go beyond Boggy Creek with our guest tonight, Lyle Blackburn. We'll be very excited to talk to him about these monster stories, and we'll also take your calls as well. We'll be talking about all kinds of things paranormal, because that's what we do here on episode 495 of Spooky South Coast, which is starting right now. Asylum Assassin Matt Costa, Science Advisor Matt Moniz, and Stephanie Burke. The gang is all here for the first time in a while. Yeah. And definitely for the first time in a couple of weeks because we were off last week for Salem Con. And uh, and I just realized Matt has this new setup. I, I can't ask him about Sonic and stuff. I know. You know, he's, I don't he's, think I like this. Over. I think he did it on purpose. Uh, uh, <laughs> so is he going to come over here and jump on the microphone and talk about Sonic? No? Okay. No, he's just fixing cameras. Not yet. No Sonic yet. We're, gonna, we're just going to give like a weekly update as to whether or not Sonic is in Wareham yet. I don't even have to do that because you will know. Will I? It, the, the viewers on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com will know because they will see many, many shakes in front of us as the show begins. I'm game for shakes, my friend. So we will, we will definitely get into that when it happens. But until then, we'll talk about the paranormal for the most part. <laughs> and uh, as I said, tonight our guest is going to be Lyle Blackburn. Uh, his new book is called Beyond Boggy Creek in Search of the Southern Sasquatch. But we'll also talk to him about his first book as well, The Beast of Boggy Creek. We're going to find out more about this legend. It's something that I don't think we've ever covered here on the show in all the years of talking about different cryptid stories. And uh, there's actually one of the small-town monsters documentaries is actually about this too so we can we can get into all of that stuff coming up in just a little bit uh with lyle uh, but before that we just want to give a quick recap of salem con i thought it was a, a great weekend overall it was i had fun it was your first time going it was my first time and you weren't sure exactly uh what to expect no not at all um salem is one of my favorite places on this planet i absolutely love going any excuse to go is awesome but it was definitely interesting being there and seeing everything go down. I've heard about it for so many years, and I didn't think I'd ever see it happen, but I did. And uh, the rumors are that it was the last Salem Con, but we are working on pushing Mark and Lauren for doing another one. I did see their live video yesterday. What did they say in that one? And they did say that they have reasons to not do it and reasons to obviously want to do it. Mm-hmm. And they just don't know if they want to go through everything again to do it. But I think I think they're going to end up changing their minds. I, I know the reasons why they don't want to do it. Of course, and it's it's a it's a, it's a big hurdle to right. be able to jump over. But if they can, then I see no reason why it can't be done. No, I think so. everybody had a great time. Everybody was so happy in just having fun and letting loose, and you know, just forgetting about the things that go on every day. And I want to welcome all of the new listeners, people who yes. are checking out the show for the first time, uh, people that we talked. There, there were some people who had never experienced anything. 
to do with the paranormal until right. that weekend. So we welcome you aboard, and hopefully you'll keep joining us each and every Saturday night. And we do have another event coming up as well. We do. That we'll be at in a few. Well, you'll be at one next weekend. I will be at one next weekend. I'll be at... We're just getting all the plug stuff out of right. the way really fast so we can get into the conversation. I will be on the Strange Escape Spiritual Retreat Weekend with Amy Brody, Adam Berry, Dustin Perry, and Ty Gowen. And I'm really excited about it. I've never been to Mount Washington. I think there's still some tickets available for that, too, isn't there? I think so. So if people want to get involved, they can go to strange-escapes.com. Right. Absolutely. Don't forget the dash. Check that out. I'll be doing readings all weekend. You can buy those on the website as well. And um, I mean, it's an action-packed weekend from Friday to Monday morning, and you get so many different things along with it. And it's only limited to 30 people. Wow, only 30 people. Only 30 so people, and I've heard the investigation <clears throat> spots are, are pretty serious. So, And I and I, I saw some mention of uh, something earlier that you might be doing. Something earlier? Uh, well, not, no, doing. no. I, earlier today, I saw something that you might be doing while you're up there. Oh, God. Something yes. that you're afraid of. I'm terrified. Uh, the Cog Railway. I saw that on a, a PBS documentary Yes. Uh, about a year or so ago. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, man, I would love to do that, but I'm never going to do that. <gasps> really? <laughs> like, I'm just too afraid of heights. I'm terrified of heights. And I, I felt bad saying no because... The nerdy part of me is like, when am I ever going to get this experience again? Right. Going There's, up to the, the top of Mount left. Washington. I think the Cog Railroad is the only one left like that. Being able to be at the summit and see the observatory and everything, the nerd in me is Well, you, I mean, you can just drive up there. You don't have to take the Cog I am never driving up there. That's not happening. No, there's like just a road. Nope. Like you can just happening. drive up the road. But no, no, no. You don't have to take the Cog to get up there. Please contact Alicia and tell her how well I did in the Berkshires. Well. And she will tell you I am not driving up Mount Washington. The, but you don't even have to drive nope. on any mountains when nope. you're in the Berkshires. Oh, no, I ended up on one. Well, I told you, you that whole story. I ended up on the Mohawk Raylock? Trail. You, you went the wrong way. I know. My GPS took me that way. So I just, I don't like heights. I can't do it. So I just feel yeah, like Mount, if Mount I... Mount Greylock's nothing compared to Mount Washington either. No, I no, know. I'm terrified. Like, if you had a problem with that, you're, you're screwed. I am terrified. So I'm hoping, I, I talked to Alicia about it and I told her, worst case scenario, I have a complete panic attack before my lecture and it is what it is. So uh, I'll just have to figure it out. But I'm hoping it's, it's going to be a, a good time. Well, then the weekend after that... You'll be back with me. We'll be causing some trouble again in Provincetown. Yes. At the Provincetown Paracon, the first ever Provincetown Paracon, May 12th to the 14th. Tickets are still available. You can hang out with Amy Bruning, Adam Berry, us, John yes. Brightman, um, uh, Greg and Dana Newkirk. Yes, I'm so Sam, excited. Sam Baltrusis is hosting the whole event. Right. Uh, and I know Lucky will be there, Lucky Bell Camino. There's going to be so many people that will be there. Right. It's worth coming and checking out. Anyway, and they just announced that they're going to have the True Crime Tour. What's that, on Saturday? No, that's Friday, Friday night, night Friday after night. the VIP party. I'm getting my days confused. Yes. So, yes, after the VIP party, you can go on that special tour with Rachel Hoffman and Sam Baltrusis to investigate yep. some of the true crime stories of Provincetown. That was just announced. So you can check all that out on the website, ProvincetownParacon.com. But we are going to be giving away some passes. We are. To Provincetown Paracon. And can I just say how cool it is that we're actually lecturing together for that one? Right. And by lecturing together, I mean I'm making you do all the work. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. Do we want to let people know what we're lecturing about, or are we totally going are we, surprise mode? Are we totally sure what we're lecturing about yet? I don't know. Are we? We have an idea. Okay. So you, you're not going to want to miss this. It's going to be... I'm just going to pimp it up really big and then see if we can fail to deliver. It's going to be huge. <laughs> you never do, my I friend. I sound like the president. Right. So Huge. It's it's going to be amazing. You're going to love it. It's going to be the best lecture anybody's ever had. Never been done before. It well, ha- that's for sure. 
So, uh, but definitely make sure that you come and check us out. We'll be giving away those passes at the end of the show. And Sam's been nice enough to give us more passes to give away. Right. So we're going to give some away on the show this week. We'll give some away on the show next week. And then during the week, Stephanie and I will also be giving some away on our social media as well. Okay. So I have a plan in place of how we can do do. that. And I'll talk to you about that after the show. Sounds good. But you want to definitely stay you know, focused on uh, on us on Twitter and on Facebook, and we will give you your chances to win. We're not, gonna, you know, we're going to do some on the spooky, some on our personal. We're going to kind of mix right. it around because we we've got a good couple of pairs to give away. So oh, absolutely, and we'll make sure that we do. So it. this is only for the Saturday lecture, just part. the Saturday lecture part. But the good news is, if you win them and you want to take part in the other stuff, there's still time to get involved. Oh yeah, definitely, and to be able to. Sign up for the VIP party, the true crime tour, the investigations. From what I know, too, as of right now, it's on flash sale, right? The whole VIP access for the whole weekend, minus the dinner on Saturday and the true crime tour. But everything else right now is on flash sale. So if you go to ProvincetownParacon.com, you'll be able to take advantage of this awesome, awesome deal. And make sure that you follow Provincetown Paracon on, on Facebook. Yes. Because that's where these deals keep popping up if you want to have your chance to, to get some reduced tickets. But as I said, we will have some, some freebies for you uh, a little bit later on tonight. And I don't think we're going to do any heavy lifting to give them away tonight. I think, you know, it'll no, just be after be the nice. show's over. We'll, we'll just take a certain caller or something. But maybe there'll be a trivia question that pops up from tonight's show. I gotta, so I gotta, gotta come up with one. You gotta pay attention to the topic and what we're discussing tonight, and uh, that will that will be the easiest way to to be able to win. You know, we're not gonna make you give us a a brand new theory of what ghosts are, just to win these tickets. No, the last question was really funny. We're just gonna ask you something about the discussion that happens during the course of tonight's show. So make sure that you pay attention, take notes, and you have your chance to win a little bit later on. So perfect. <coughs> excuse me. See, I'm gonna try and pull away. And as, as much as I can before I cough, but this is killing me now. It's like each each week something else happens to destroy my throat. Well, it's because you're on the radio every day now. It was first. It was being sick. Then yep. it was. Then I finally started getting over that. The hot wings problem started. Mm, that was a pretty serious problem. Yes, it was. The hot wings was not. Did you see the hot wing video, Monies? I saw stills. Oh, of it. it was hilarious! No, there's, there's a video. It's so funny. You have to see it. If anybody out there is, has not seen the video, I shared it. But you can go to fun107.com and you will see it there. Uh, basically, we took f- one, you know, f- four of the hottest wings on the South Coast. Uh, there was three of us participating in the challenge. We each had to eat one wing from four places, each of their hottest wings. So we had one from Buffalo Wild Wings. Uh, we had one from. Uh, the Cask and Pig, which just opened up in Dartmouth. We had their Carolina Reaper wing. We had one from... Uh, Barrett's. Barrett's Ale House. And we had one from Rose Alley. And the Barrett's Ale House Ghost Those Pepper ghost wings pepper, yeah. was the one that actually destroyed us. Okay. To the point of, like, physical pain. Can I just tell you that my favorite part of the entire video is the fact that Nick just sat there and totally ate everything without even flinching yes. and just continued to eat it after you guys were coughing and puking. Nick, Nick Dompierre, who is a, a world-famous skateboarder, is also a now world-famous food challenge person. Like He goes out and takes all these food challenges. Sometimes he just creates food challenges where, there, where one doesn't exist. Sometimes he just walks into a restaurant and says, I'm going to eat 30 tacos tonight. And, uh, and and as Gazelle likes to say, he has an eight-pack. I mean, this kid is, yeah. like, jacked. And uh, and he can eat anything, and we're eating these wings. And after we eat the hottest wing, Gazelle and I, Gazelle threw up. 
He's literally vomiting in the trash barrel. Mm-hmm. I'm in the bathroom just scooping cold water into my mouth to rinse out all the spices <laughs> from my mouth. So we're going through all this pain. We walk back into the into the conference room. Nick's in there just eating the rest of the wings. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and he still hadn't even touched his milk that we had poured out for him. He actually ended up just drinking the milk at the end just because he didn't. He want, He felt bad that it was going to go to waste because we'd already poured it. Ah. That was the only reason why he drank it. He didn't need it. It was well, such a funny video. Well, we did do a um, that's all I, challenge. That's with, all I could keep thinking back to. That, that stuff was hot. This, I would, listen, Jay Mori, we love you, but these wings were hotter than your sauce. Wow. Yes. It was that bad. So uh, we're going to have, um, we're going to see if Matt, if he's not too busy, if he can get our, our guest on the phone, Lyle Blackburn. And uh, we will be talking about his book, Beyond Boggy Creek. If you want to check out his website, it's lyleblackburn.com. That's L-Y-L-E, and then Blackburn, B-L-A-C-K-B-U-R-N. I wonder if uh, wonder if he's had, if he has a hot sauce. Blackburns. Hmm. That would be pretty that'd, good. That would be a good idea. Uh, but we'll be talking with him in just a moment. And again, if you have any questions during the show, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. If you want to call in, you can. If you want to type questions into the chat room, you can do that as well. We have the chat room going live on our YouTube channel. We have the Facebook Live going tonight on the Spooky South Coast page. I know a lot of you usually tune in to watch Stephanie because you like the fact oh, that yes. her camera is on her all the time, and I think she might like that a little bit, too. Oh, yes, I am. And, I'm uh, so into myself. I can't even stand it. <laughs> so, But uh, Matt's found a way to actually kick the Spooky TV feed Which is awesome. directly into the Facebook Live. Can so. we just talk about how amazing he is and how we wouldn't be doing this without him? He is incredible. You should have seen what he did. We had the live debate last week for the yep. Ward 3 candidates here in New Bedford. And the production that he put on was spectacular. Everybody in the building was buzzing about it for days afterwards. You know, and that's, you know, it's just it was a little small election. Right. And I'm saying, you know, guys, Matt's been doing this every Saturday night for years. Like, you're just discovering now how awesome he is. Like, we've known this forever. He is. So, big, big thanks to him because... All this techy, amazing things would not be happening if it's, it weren't for and, him. And everybody was, every, like I said, everybody was buzzing about it, and I just kept saying the same thing when they're like, "How does you know? How did you do all this? How do you figure this out?" I was like, "Because he's a genius." Does nobody in this building ever watch Spooky TV? No, <laughs> but they need to. Like nobody ever watches it. Abby watches. Frank the engineer watches it just to see if we've been playing with his cameras, <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is we have. But yes, Abby does watch it. Abby, uh, Abby actually told me. That uh, she had to go to a, a regional meeting for everybody yep. that's in her position. And the whole trip, all she did was listen to Spooky South Coast podcast. That's because she's time. awesome. And she, and she keeps begging to come in. I tell her any time. It's not like she doesn't have a key to the place. I know. She should definitely come on. We can talk all kinds of different ghost things. And tonight would have been a great night for her because she's really into you know cryptid stuff. Oh, really? She likes, well, she likes puck wedgies a lot. Well, who doesn't? But uh, I think tonight she would definitely be... Uh, on board for what we're discussing tonight, because we have joining us now on the line, Lyle Blackburn is an author, a musician, and cryptid researcher from Texas. His acclaimed books, such as Beast of Boggy Creek, Beyond Boggy Creek, and Lizard Man, reflect his lifelong fascination with legends and sighting reports of unknown creatures. Lyle's also a staff writer for the monthly horror magazine Room Org, founder of the rock band Ghoul Town, and narrator producer of the Small Town Monsters film series. He's been heard on numerous radio programs, including Coast to Coast AM, and he's appeared on various television shows airing on Discovery and 
Animal Planet, Destination America, A&E, HGTV, and CBS, and served as consulting producer and special episode host for the TV show Monsters and Mysteries in America. And most recently, Lyle was featured in the Small Town Monsters documentary, Boggy Creek Monster, and we welcome him to the show. Good evening, Lyle. How are you? I'm doing good. How about that bio? <laughs> it's getting longer. Hey, that's good though. It means that you're keep. It's it's always good to have your bio grow than have it shrink. It means you're that's still right. still doing still doing stuff. Still uh, still making a difference. That's right. Yeah, so, definitely. I, I just uh, I, you know as as we're reading your bio and, and I just I just want to take a minute again and I, and I know that you know we just had we had Seth on just a few weeks ago and uh, we want to say congratulations to Seth Breedlove and his family. They have a new addition to the family. I don't know if you were aware of that, Lyle. Oh, certainly so. Yes, yeah. Uh, congratulations to Seth, and uh, yeah, he was—he's he was a busy guy before, so now he's—he's he's, uh, even busier, but in a good way. I just want to know which of the monsters he picked to be the godfather of the child. You know, is it, <laughs> is it Big? I think it might be Mothman right now. That might be in the running. It could be. It, it could be up for bid. You know, the highest bidder uh, will uh, <laughs> pursue the next documentary. So who knows? So, I mean, with you know, we mentioned that you have quite a lengthy bio, and I'm going to assume that this is something that you know you didn't set out to get involved in in your life, as as most of us that end up in these pursuits do. It's something that just ends up calling us along the way. Uh, we're going to be talking about Boggy Creek tonight, which I think is a it's a monster story that I think affected a lot of people when they were younger, and and that kind of made them aware of these creatures. How did you first become aware of the idea of there being these cryptid creatures that, that people just weren't paying enough attention to? Well, you know, from a very young age, I was early into Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, that sort of thing, mostly through books. Um, you know, I think I saw the Patterson-Gimlin Bigfoot film on television, um, and it's just something that attracted me because I was naturally into movie monsters and, and all things creepy and crawly. So as I kind of progressed through life, you know, those those stood out because, you know, the fact that they, they could possibly be real creatures. Um, the real catalyst that, that really hooked me was actually seeing the movie The Legend of Boggy Creek back in the mid-70s sometime. I was really young, but uh, it, it was something that took place maybe about three hours from where I live. I live in Texas, and that was just across the border in Arkansas. So at that point, it kind of brought a cryptid, you know, much closer to me, much closer than, say, the Pacific Northwest or Scotland or anywhere else. So uh, that just uh, became something that I was fascinated in and was sort of a, a person who, you know, read the books and then watched television shows and so forth. And later, as I became a professional writer, uh, I, you know, got the idea I wanted to write a book, and it was something I'd always wanted to do, and I just thought, what's my favorite subject? And that was, you know, The Legend of Boggy Creek, and just wanted to find out more about the history and what was true about the accounts and how the movie was made, and that, that pretty much just launched the whole thing once the book came out and was well-received. And I think that that happens for a lot of people where they hear these these stories of these creatures, and 
it isn't until they find out, but then somebody's seen something in, in your neck of the woods, no pun intended, that they start to realize, oh, wait a minute, you know, these things do hit close to home. So it's not just something that you're, you're watching in search of and hearing about this creature that's, you know, out in the Himalayas. This is something that there's, there's, there's weird and, and unexplained creatures happening right in our own backyards. Yeah, true. And I, I think that's, yeah, what brings it, you know, it makes it more personal. You know, it's, there's many, many people who, you know, read about the subjects, but yeah, they're far away. I mean, I love the Yeti, but I probably wouldn't necessarily write a book about the Yeti unless I had, you know, perhaps visited, uh, you know, the Himalaya Mountains or some, something had been a catalyst. So yeah, you're right. It, it would be something that once there's some personal connection, then that really sparks uh, your desire to do more research and, you know, perhaps write a book. And I think it was probably, you know, when I was younger, it was probably seeing movies on TV, uh, you know, the creature double feature stuff that we used to have here in the Boston area. And, and every, every you know, UHF station had its whether it be Friday night at midnight or Saturday afternoon, you know, they all have the time when they would run these monster movies. And for some reason, they always seem to, you know, show me a vampire film, show me a ghost film, show me, you know, Frankenstein, any of this kind of stuff. But for some reason, the idea of creatures that could actually be real always terrified me more than these monsters, you know, these, these werewolves and things like that that I didn't really uh, buy into. But when I see something like a Bigfoot creature or like a Boggy Creek monster, I'm like, for some reason, this just hits home. This just seems as something like you could be out there in the woods and encounter one of these creatures. Yeah, I, mean, I couldn't say it better myself. That's exactly my my background on it as well. I love movie monsters and Frankenstein and everything, but yes, I knew they weren't real, and they didn't really scare me. Like seeing the, I can remember seeing the Patterson-Gimlin film on television. I mean, that just freaked me right out. I thought, man, you know, I, I grew up, uh, with my dad, he's, he's an avid bow hunter, and you know I was often in the woods. And I thought, man, if I saw that thing in the woods, I don't care if it is just walking away from me. That would just scare me to death. And we're talking with with the Patterson Gimlin film. That's you know fifty years now. And uh, is that? I mean, if you look at some of these other uh, stories that have come up, and you know, I think UFOs have had kind of a same. Uh, explosion over 50 years, you know, since the Kenneth Arnold sightings, you know, you've seen that kind of increase. But I feel like all of those things still kind of remain fringe just enough. But in the 50 years since Patterson-Gimlin film, I, I think a lot of people have welcomed the possibility of there being a Bigfoot, even if it's just something that they just make a joke about when they're out walking in the woods, you know. It's it's become part of more of the the consciousness than I think anything else. Yeah, certainly so. It's it's just bigger than ever, and just you know, an example is is the show Finding Bigfoot is one of Animal Planet's most successful shows, and it's run for almost ten years. So, you know that that's one of the things that have made it just a household name, and it's more acceptable now to say, well, I think you know I might have seen Bigfoot, or my uncle did, or people are used to that. Whereas before, it was. You know, you were risking your reputation if you claimed you had seen something like this, you know, uh, you know, 50 years ago. People were like, hey, what are you talking about? You're nuts. But now it's, yeah, it's in the public consciousness so much that, you know, who, you, who, who knows how many people just utter the word Bigfoot in one day. It'd be millions. 
know. And what, see, I'm all right. I'm a pro wrestling fan, and and for those who follow pro wrestling, there's always and it, and it goes a bit to boxing as well. But they always say, you know, for some in some people's careers, it's better to have them be the one chasing the championship than to actually win the championship. And I think the same thing is kind of true with these with these creatures as well. It's the chase of them. It's trying to find out if they're real and trying to prove they're real. You know, finding Bigfoot, I think if they ever actually find Bigfoot, that's probably going to be the end of the series because you've kind of reached that penultimate moment then. Where do you go from there? How would that be for a researcher such as yourself in... in, in cataloging these stories, you know, if all of a sudden, say, for example, the Boggy Creek monster showed up on your front door and you were able to take a picture and catalog it and prove to the world that it was real, you know, then it, does the mystery end there? Well, you know, it, in some ways it does, but in some ways it sort of opens up other doors because, you know, if we did prove, you know, Boggy Creek monster... Perhaps it's not seven feet tall. Perhaps it's not quite as dangerous looking. It could be four feet tall and, and, and a little bit, uh, you know, less than impressive. And you never know what the reality of that is. Or even if you did prove it, uh, yeah, you certainly accomplished that. But for myself, you know, I, I've researched other cryptids, even written other books, and you know, there's a there's a gamut of cryptids. And I think if you if one of them was proven, even if it was Bigfoot, all of a sudden people are going to go, oh, wait a minute. So you're saying now we've proved that, that all these other creatures that have been, you know, Mothman and everything else, now people are going to really uh, get excited over, well, maybe we can prove these other ones. So I think it it doesn't end cryptozoology. It may end uh, the quest for Bigfoot, but it would, you know, there's, there's many more cryptids out there to be proven, I guess. And, and I think that that's all it takes. It takes just, you know, just proving one to change people's mindset. And if you look back in history, we've actually been able to do that with, you know, people, giant squids. People didn't think that those were real. Coelacanth. You know, you see these things that we we thought were mythological and then turn out to be real. And that kind of just opens the door for uh, these other things to also kind of fall into that same same category of we thought it was until finally we could prove it was. Right. And I, and I think that people always love mysteries. They will never, you know, we're not going to be at a point where there's no mysteries. You know, everybody kind of says, oh, well, we sort of know everything, we explored the whole planet, and eh, nonsense. There's, there's things to be discovered, and there's always a new mystery around every corner because people love mysteries. So I think, you know, there, there's no point where we would have proved something and then everybody just, like, you know, the air goes out of the balloon, it's still going to be there. And if you look at some of these other creatures, you know, if you look at, you know, Bigfoot, if you look at other Yeti creatures, if you look at some some of these other uh, Mothman, things like that, you look at these stories, for a lot of people, they came to know about them through maybe a show like In Search Of, or maybe uh, a magazine article or something. There's some sort of... I don't want to say completely non-fiction basis, but there's you know some sort of an idea of there being a kernel of truth to it as it's coming out. I think a lot of people were exposed to Boggy Creek from the 1972 film, and and that's how they learned about that monster. And there's got to be some pitfalls with that as well, too, for this movie to be everybody's kind of first introduction into this creature. Uh, it creates a few misconceptions, but, I mean, you know... 
luckily, you know, in, in certain that that was the introduction to the Fout Monster, the Boggy Creek Monster, for most people, other than the people who lived in the Texarkana, Louisiana area where it would run the papers. Other than that, it was, you know, unknown to anybody else except the locals. But, um, you know, it, it's... Uh, the movie, you know, it's a horror movie, and it's also got the kind of documentary approach. And uh, luckily, that there had been so many reports that the director Charles Pierce really just had to follow and sort of dramatize real life sightings. He, he didn't have to make up a lot of stuff, so it didn't create too much fictional add-ons. I mean. Yes, he did take those sightings and make them as dramatic as possible. But really, at the at the core of it, they're fairly accurate. And uh, so, you know, people, I guess from the movie, they think, you know, Southern Sasquatch is pretty much, you know, if you, they're going to chase you down, you know, they got a bad reputation. And there is some cases like that, but not all cases. Uh, but uh, I think that... Uh, as far as it goes, and after having done all the research, I was quite impressed with the the movie being based so much on on accurate, you know, eyewitness reports. Which is funny because you know that was at a time when they were cranking out movies like this. You know, they were cranking out kind of uh, you know Monster of the Week type movies, and so it's not surprising if you get one of these movies that might be based in fact, but in actuality is kind of just you know, somebody's fictionalized version of it. So to be able to put that much truth into it at that time when they probably didn't have to, you know, they, that was probably just serving the story more than it was trying to serve anybody else that was behind the making of the film. Yeah, that's true. And I think one one advantage of it was that he actually did go into the project with the intentions of making the documentary because it was originally called Tracking the Foul Monster. And so a lot of the early approach had been that, you know, he was doing a documentary, which led him to, you know, try to be accurate in in the recreations and things. And, uh, you know, and, and it was like, I mean, this, was, this came out, he started working on that in 1971. It came out in 72. Uh, and it was the precursor for what you see now with, uh, in search of and Monster Quest and all that other stuff. He was you know, and that's why it was so scary and resonated so well with people because that documentary approach was, oh man, that made it so real. And, you know, when I saw it as a kid, I remember thinking in my mind, how was this guy there when that lady saw the monster or whatever? Because I thought, you know, it, and, <laughs> the you know, reenactments looked so scary and so real. That was because he was using, in many cases, he was using the actual witnesses to reenact the cases. So it was very much a precursor to, you know, In Search Of and all the shows that have followed. And what I find to be the most uh, amazing about that, too, is that when you do that, you're giving a sense of realism and a sense of of terror and, and, and actual feeling that even the best actor couldn't be able to convey because you're getting it from the people who actually have those experiences and you're bringing them back to it, you're bringing them back to what happened and you're bringing them back into that moment. And I think that we've become so desensitized to that now because we see so many of these paranormally themed TV shows where people are talking about their experiences and they seem pretty 
cool and calm and collected about it because we're used to the format. We're used to seeing how this all works. Back then, people weren't used to seeing that. So it's, you know, it's a lot more raw than it is now. Yeah, certainly so. And then I mean, you can kind of compare it to the the sequel that followed in 1977, Return to Boggy Creek. It was much more of a bit of a kid's movie or so forth. But in that one, it was just a fictional story. And they used actors to, with just crummy Cajun accents and stuff. And the, it just does not ring true. Like when you look at Legend of Boggy Creek, and you hear those people's dialect and the you know their words uh it just there's no comparison so yeah it was, was um was that one of those situations, though? I'm not familiar. I haven't seen Return to Boggy Creek, and I haven't seen Legend of Boggy Creek in a long, long time. But was that one of those situations where it was this script was kind of out there for a monster movie, and, and the Falk monster became popular through the other movies, so they, they kind of just married the two ideas together? No, it was mainly that the Legend of Boggy Creek had done so well. That, I mean, it you know, Pierce made it for $160,000, and... You know, by 19, mid, you know, within four or five years, the thing had made millions, 20 million by then, and 25 million eventually. But uh, studios were, kept coming to him asking to do a sequel. And he was like, no, 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 no. I, I did that, and I've moved on, because he was making other movies that were quite good. You know, he knew that was gold, and he didn't want to tamper with it. So, uh, it was just something where the stu- you know studio somehow you know bought the rights and said we're going to go make our own sequel and Pierce didn't want to have anything to do with it as far as directing so I I, I suppose he sold them you know the rights to use that name but it it's nothing like what Pierce did you know. And we have a question from our chat room on on SpookySouthCoast.com. Uh, somebody wants to know, Sudanian wants to know, is this a case where, do you think that this story would have kind of been lost to history? You know, obviously people such as yourself who study this, it would be something that comes up, but would it stay in the pop culture lexicon and, and in the minds of people had it not been for that film? Uh, definitely not. No, it, that film made that case extremely famous. And in fact, my new book called Beyond Boggy Creek in Search of the Southern Sasquatch, the basic premise of that is... Uh, that The Legend of Boggy Creek is so famous because it had a movie associated with it, but in fact, there's, there is so many of those kind of similar reports all over the Deep South, and many of them just as interesting and scary as The Boggy Creek that, you know, my book covers all those other cases, but, you know, you can tell that, yeah, these, these were, um, you know, they just don't, didn't, have a movie and nobody but the locals even knew about them. So yeah, it's, it's for certain that if that movie wasn't made, it would just be a handful of uh, newspaper reports and all the rest would be knowledge of the locals. And we have uh, we have just about five minutes left in this hour, then we'll have to take a break for the news. When we come back on the other side, I want to get more into uh, what the actual Boggy Creek story is, what the truth is uh, in comparison to the film. And as you said, you know, it's pretty true, but I'm sure there's some little minor details we can discuss. And also we'll talk about the new book, Beyond Boggy Creek, as well. But I, th- I think that, you know, getting to the idea of these movies spreading the word, it is a double-edged sword because, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning, sometimes these movies can kind of foster false impressions of it. 
But also, as we've learned with, especially the you know like the small town monsters films and, and documentary films like that, that the more these are put out there, the more sightings come in, and the more that we start to realize that. Uh, you know, it's not just a handful of people that are experiencing these, these. These these stories are bigger than they are. Do you feel though that also as yourself as somebody who's researching these stories and trying to get to the the kernels of truth behind a lot of them, does this mass explosion that we've had lately of Bigfoot related media does that really kind of muddy the waters a little bit too to decide what is real and what is just people trying to l- latch on to the next big phenomenon? Uh, somewhat, yeah. There, there is that problem, yeah. That so there's been an advantage because people are more willing to talk about it. But yeah, there is more uh, cases where I think people will interpret a shadow or something, you know, that would normally be, you know, written off as, oh wait, I saw Bigfoot. It develops into a story. But the, the worst case I see is is that it has inspired so many researchers to go out there, and I think these researchers feel, you know, if they go out for a weekend, they need to have some reports. And so the place where I feel like there's just so much confusing stuff is coming from people who are in the woods looking for Bigfoot. But if you're still out there interviewing what I call the civilians, people who don't want to see Bigfoot, don't think about it, don't care, uh, those reports still, you know, have credibility, and those those are the ones that I kind of uh, go for myself. So I, I see that they're a little more willing to talk, but uh, hopefully hasn't affected you know your average person too much. And and I know that you know the the cryptid community, those who research these creatures, it's a it's a very tight community. But there's also a lot of you know there's there's some politicking in it as well. And I can tell you that one thing that I've noticed. See, we we have hundreds of episodes up on line and on YouTube of our show. And the one every week that when I get an alert that says that somebody's commenting on one of our YouTube videos, there's hardly a week that goes by that somebody doesn't comment on the Tom Biscardi episode where he came on and tried to defend the whole hoax that happened. So it just goes to show that this is something that people are passionate about, that people are following along with it. So even this episode that we did like three or four or five years ago, whatever it was, is still riling people up. It shows that this research is something that people take very seriously. It's, as ghost researchers, you know, I know that somebody can tell me they felt a cold spot, that they've heard a voice, that this and that, and, and that might be enough for us to go and research. But when it comes to these creatures, you know, it, it takes a little bit more to convince somebody that something's going on. So I can understand why there's a lot of protection for what it is that you do because you don't want to get lumped into a lot of these hoaxes and a lot of these people who are just out there investigating every little you know, knock that they hear in the woods. Yeah, you've got to be careful. And, you know, I, I come at it as somewhat of an investigative journalist, so I try to, you know, understand that people are going to be skeptical. So if I if I say I've been into the woods and seen Bigfoot 30 times, yet, you know, the guy over here has been hunting, the 70-year-old guy that's been hunting for his entire life had zero encounters or one, you know, something's off about that. So... You know, I think the most important thing is not interpret things too much. Uh, be sure that it's a legitimate, you know, the best of the best. We need to come forward with what's the best and and, and not, uh, you know, raise red flags, you know, by going to state parks where there's people swimming in the lake and things and say they saw Bigfoot, you know, 
standing there. It's it's just uh, got to ring true. So you know, it, it begs uh, to be balanced and and uh, you know try to uh, present the best case so that people who are skeptical, real scientists, and things like that don't think it's uh, you know too too much fantasy. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a break for the news. When we come back on the other side, we'll be joined more with our guest, Lyle Blackburn. We'll also take your calls, 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. You can also jump into the chat room on SpookySouthCoast.com or download our free app for Android and iPhone, and you'll be able to get into the chat room there as well and watch the show as you're listening. So we'll take a break. We'll be back with more Spooky South Coast in just a bit. Here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, science advisor Matt Moniz, and Stephanie Burke. And uh, we are talking about the paranormal as we do each and every Saturday night. We'll get right back into it with our guest Lyle Blackburn in just a moment, talking about the Boggy Creek Monster. But Stephanie, I just want to throw it out there for people so that we don't forget to tell them later. But we filmed a, a very interesting television experience the other day. We did. We did not sign NDA so we can talk about it. Right. We, uh, we basically shared some of our experiences at the Fearing Tavern in Wareham. We did. And it, w- it was a great shoot, I thought. I think we had a good time. It helps that our favorite cameraman of all time was our favorite director. That was a lucky break. It was. I liked that. So, that, that made it a lot easier and more fun. But any, anytime we can work with Aaron Kadju, it's, it's not like work at all. No, absolutely not. And he puts up with me, so it's perfect. <laughs> Although he was he was getting pretty uh you know he's getting pretty bossy a little bit there toward the end he's like all right do this a third time do this a fourth time come on but I'm so always, used to he that though apologizes because I I worked on the commercials for the Bridgewater Triangle documentary with him and he's extremely understanding when I forgot my lines see see with well see I didn't have lines when I filmed with him because it was just me telling a story well I did a commercial so but yeah I didn't have to worry about that but you know when we filmed that it was kind of like a one. Kind of like a one-take thing, you know, just tell your yep. story and, and go on. And, and this, he was I was noticing he was getting really creative with some of the stuff that we were trying. And, he was. And what's best about it is I, I love it whenever we film something and they take our suggestions for things. Which, which is awesome. It might not end up in the final thing, no, but, but at least they're willing to try it. Our input was in there, and I do have to say that he definitely made you redo all of your stuff way more than he made me redo mine. Well, that's because he had to get three or four angles on mine to try to make me look less disgusting on TV. Stop that. So... With you, you're all set. It's like, we can just film you. All right, you're good. And then someone's like, oh, jeez. Oh, that nose no looks way. huge in profile. We can't you, use uh, this shot. You definitely come across much more put together than I do. It's, for sure. I, if only I didn't have a face for radio. We're both sitting here on the radio, just FYI. <laughs> yeah, but you, you can use your face other places. This is pretty much it for me. Oh, my God. All right, well, we're going to get back into it with our guest, Lyle Blackburn. We were talking about... The Boggy Creek Monster, and, and you can check out both his original book and the new one, Beyond Boggy Creek. You can get them from his website, lyleblackburn.com, uh, which uh, has all the information about him, all the different things that he's been involved with as well. 
and I, I highly recommend going to the website while we're having this discussion. We'll try and you know cover as much of these topics as we can during the night. But I, I think, Lyle, I think it's good if we kind of give people a little bit of background, especially for those who might not have seen the movie. And as I mentioned, I saw it a long time ago. Uh, but what exactly is the Boggy Creek monster story, the, the Falk monster story? Well, it kind of came to the attention of the public in May of 1971, and that was when some people had moved to this small town called Falk, Arkansas, which is in the southwest corner, uh, kind of a swampier area of Arkansas, and uh, they reported that a creature fitting the description of roughly seven feet tall, covered in hair, walked you know, on two legs, uh, you know, we see that now, obviously, a, a Bigfoot-like description, but at the time, you know, back in 1971, you know, that really wasn't on the consciousness. It was just there was some kind of a unknown creature, a monster, uh, stalking around their home uh, for a period of about a week. And then finally, I uh, got up on the porch and was, you know, apparently trying to get in the house, and the the men uh, confronted it, and it ran into the wood line, and they took some shots at it with a shotgun. And um, you know, as as they went out to investigate to see if they had hit it, um, one of the guys by the name of Bobby Ford got very spooked and said, "You know, I'm headed back up to the house." So he started walking up there, and uh, as he was, something came around from the side of the house and attacked him. Uh, he tussled with it and managed to get away and get through the door. Um, but he was severe, He was uh, in severe shock. He was you know, injured, and he ended up in the Texarkana Hospital uh, and you know, basically telling the doctors he had been attacked by a huge hairy monster. And so at that point, it got in the newspapers, uh, at which time it was followed by a few other sightings by some other credible locals, and uh, as the newspapers kind of descended on it and created the name the Falk Monster, uh, they discovered that actually there have been reports in the area going back many, many years. And a lot of the locals uh, had, you know, had reports and encounters of it back in the 1960s and on back. And all that started appearing in the Texarkana Gazette newspaper, and there was a uh, one of these filmmakers by the name of Charles B. Pierce, who was living in Texarkana and reading all these accounts, and he and he thought, man, this would make a great documentary or something, you know. So uh, he had the wherewithal to borrow some money, get a camera and a crew, and go down there to Falk, which is about 20 minutes from Texarkana, out in the woods, and uh, started interviewing these people and sort of doing re- recreations of their sightings, and that became. The movie The Legend of Boggy Creek, which, like we mentioned, was released in 1972, uh, was basically an independent production by a first-time director out of Arkansas. You know, Hollywood didn't want anything to do with any such thing, uh, but he ended up doing what's called four-walling, and that's showing the movie himself by renting theaters in Texarkana and Shreveport. The movie was so huge because of the awareness of the Falk Monster there that it, the next year in 73 was picked up by an, uh, a movie distributor and then put into wide circulation on the drive-in and movie circuits. And the movie was just huge. I mean, it made $25 million eventually and made the Boggy Creek story extremely famous. And so uh, and people have come up to me, you know, 
constantly when I'm at a book signing or an event or something and say, man, that movie, you know, it scared the blank out of me. Uh, when I was a kid, so many people uh, had seen the movie. So that's that's basically it. And when I started doing the research to kind of sort out, uh, you know, the backstory, all the sightings, and, you know, had there been sightings since the 70s, of which I found out there had been many. So it was a continuing story. It's just that the media had moved on and, you know, the movie and did its thing in the 70s. So there had been sightings, uh, and there's still sightings today that I investigate uh, that go, you know, uh, is just as compelling. And uh, the history of the creature goes back, you know, uh, nearly 100 years in that area of, of sightings. So it's a very extensive, um, you know, case that when you go up to there and talk to the locals and, and, and do like I've done for years and gone back and investigated it, you realize how, how big the scope is. And so it's, you know, real, one of those uh, great southern mysteries, you know, that uh, a Bigfoot could be living down there in southern Arkansas. Well, I mean, you mentioned that it had gone back 100 years. So the, these stories of sightings of a similar creature in, like, the 1850s, that, that can be kind of related to the to these same sightings? Yeah, I mean, you do have newspaper articles. There's one, for example, from more of the North Arkansas Ozarks area from, 19, I mean, 1851, uh, which, uh, you know, has a description of a creature like that. Um, and then in the general area, I could date, Specifically in the Falk area, I've got one that dates back to around 1908. That would be the earliest sort of mention of it in that area. Uh, then another sighting in around 1916 that's, you know, fairly uh, well uh, accounted for. Um, you know, and of course, as you go forward in time from there, you, you get more sightings and more, you know, modern recollections of it. So, yeah, it's definitely uh, something that, you know, just didn't pop out of nowhere. So, and there, there wasn't, like, a break in, in sightings. It seems like, you know, there's been consistent reports. Obviously, you know, it, as it gains popularity, it becomes more in the forefront of people's minds. But this isn't something that, like, came in waves. This was something that there was always kind of this underlying, every once in a while, somebody had a sighting. Yeah, definitely. There, there just seems to be a consistency, and then you know, kind of as you're going back and backtracking these, uh, you know, this happened when the newspapers were very interested in it in 1971. You know, people say, "Well, you know, hey, back in you know 1940, I remember talking to a woman who said that she had seen some sort of a man-like creature from the porch of her home." So, you know, nobody had ever asked. So these older sightings and you just simply had, had never been mentioned in a public forum. So uh, even today, I people in the, in the area often reserve to just, you know, spill everything they know, but as they've gotten to know me and realize that I treat the subject seriously, you know, people say, yeah, you know, uh, you should talk to my, my uncle. You know, he said he'd talk to you, and then all of a sudden, here's another startling <laughs> account of something this guy might have seen in the 50s, or for example, and, uh, you know, I'm just astounded by, you know, even the credibility of the reports as well as the consistency in which they've taken place. But what's different about the Ford sighting, and, and I think it's, it's actually kind of different from a lot of cryptid sightings, is there was actually physical contact. I mean, this creature attacked these people. 
Right. Yeah, that was that was one reason it just blew the doors off of it because you had you had some significant and startling details, not just the siding or not just sort of it ran across the road, which is spooky enough, but that it had been around the house for several days and then it attacked Bobby Ford. Uh, you know that that just made it uh, all the more tantalizing, I suppose, and that's. In the, the Legend of Boggy Creek movie, the Ford incident is sort of the climax of that movie. And while it is definitely ramped up and, you know, made very dramatic, essentially what you see there is, is what those people reported. And, uh, yeah, so it's definitely a cryptid case where there was a lot more contact uh, another question from the chat room is, you know, with, with these reports coming out over the years and over time, how much of this is actual creature versus misidentification versus mass suggestion, hypnosis, hallucination, whatever else? So you have this legend that's kind of developed. So how do you filter out what is somebody who actually had a legitimate sighting and how much of it is just somebody who saw something else and said, well, it must be the Boggy Creek Monster, obviously? Well, I just simply toss out all the ones where I think that it it was, uh, you know, misidentification or, you know, the, it was shadowy or they didn't see it well. Uh, you know, there's plenty of of good ones, plenty of those where the, the individual saw it well enough uh, that it, you know, it's hard to explain. And, and a lot of these witnesses... Uh, because I've written a couple of books on it, obviously some of these witnesses I've gotten to know over the years, and that strengthens the case for me because, again, they're, you know, they're not just people I talk to once on the phone. They're people that I realize uh, are, you know, truthful individuals. They're people whose their story hasn't changed. So those are the ones where when you're reading my books or you're watching our documentary, Boggy Creek Monster, those are the folks that I'm recounting their incidents. The other, and there's not a lot of them, but the other ones where I thought that, yeah, it's not really solid, I just, those are just not on the record. I mean, I think anybody that investigates unusual claims of any kind, they have to have some kind of a built-in BS meter. And for some people, it is, you know, instantaneous. You, you kind of get a feeling right away when you're hearing that initial report from somebody and seeing the way that they react to telling you the story that you know right away if they're genuine or not. And some people, it's kind of more of a, you know, over time, I'll figure this out for myself. I'm willing to listen, but let's just see where it goes. Uh, do you consider yourself kind of somebody who you can kind of tell from the outset whether or not somebody's pulling your leg or, or somebody's just trying to, to be special by having a sighting and you can kind of filter those people out early on? Yeah, I think, you know, I'd like to think that I'm able to detect that, and uh, I certainly feel like that I do. And, and one reason I, I think that that I can, it's, it's, to me it's okay if it wasn't the foul monster. You know, I don't have to. I feel that you know, a lot of times we're too wanting to have another story that you know, we're willing to overlook some discrepancies in people's stories or, or some you know gut feeling that they're not telling the truth. Um, you know, it's okay if it wasn't because I do have plenty of them and, and sort of the best of the best that I feel like are good solid sightings. So that way I, I can uh, dismiss those and I usually find the ones that are you know, and there's even people who tell, oh, I saw, 
you know, two or three, and I saw it's always, and more and more and more, uh, those are revealed usually early on. You can tell the ones that are like, no, this just, this just sounds too good to be true. And it's usually the ones that are reluctant to tell their story, um, you know, I find that often are the, the best witnesses because they're, they're very, you know, traumatized by what they had seen. You know, they don't want to see a Bigfoot. They they saw something that's unexplainable, and I'm sort of a counselor to tell them that, hey, you're not the only one that saw this, you know? I think it all kind of depends, too, on where you envision yourself as a researcher, because you can be just as much a researcher and a chronicler of the legend as you are of the actual physical being. I mean, if for you, if it turned out that there never actually was... Because as far as I know, there's been no testable materials in related in relation to this to this creature, right? Well, there's, there's some some footprints that have been you know, found that that are fairly uh, promising. But yes, no, there's there's no you know high def photo. There's no piece of DNA or anything. No. So then, for you, if it turned out that you know, in the end, it turns out that for all this time you've just been been chasing and chronicling a legend. I mean, I think that that can be just as satisfying as if there isn't an actual creature, and that this there's just this a story and this this imprint in people's minds in the area. And I find that to be just as as interesting. I know you know other people might feel the same way. You might not feel the same way, but I think that that's almost just as cool as thinking that there's an actual. You know, physical flesh and blood creature out there is that enough people thought that there was that this this became an entity unto itself. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think the story is fascinating whether we end up proving it or not. I mean, that's the thing. It's not all about the end game of well, we gotta, you know, I've got to convince people this is real and got to prove it. It's man, this is a fascinating case, in no matter what direction it takes, and certainly that comes out as well in, in the small towns and monsters movies, these are about small towns. They're not necessarily about the monsters, it's about the effects that mm-hmm. these cases have had upon people. And so I, I, you know, both Seth and I had sort of both been fascinated with that angle that it's, you know, what happened to the town of Falk after this movie came out? What, you know, what is the story? And so, you know, for me, it's it's fascinating no matter what. I mean, it makes a great story. And and that's what I, I love is I love when a story be, takes on a life unto itself and when it becomes something that people are uh, not only the ones who are willing to believe it and, and willing to accept it at face value, but the ones who don't accept it and still become part of it. And I'm sure that you've had some people, some sightings over time of people who you know, had previously crapped all over the idea of there being a Boggy Creek monster until it happened to them. Yeah, there's definitely been a few of those. And, again, I like those because you know that they're not, you know, sort of wanting to see the creature. Uh, they're starting in a neutral position, and, in fact, maybe less than neutral. They're, like, not going to interpret things as that. It's going to have to be something dramatic, something very legitimate, for them to change their mind. And those are the ones that I think um, say the most about the credibility of the, and the possibility that the creatures could exist because most people are in that, well, I don't know, it's a lot of nonsense. But when you have somebody else who thought that as well and changed their mind, 
then people start going, well, hmm, you know, maybe something to that. So I think it says a lot about the, the case. I do think, too, that uh, one, when you have people who are... I mean, not even the ones who are skeptical, but just the ones that it doesn't even enter their consciousness. Somebody who it was something they didn't even pay attention to, and then they have this sighting, and then they find out about this legend, and they didn't even realize previously that it existed. You know, those those are always the fascinating cases too. It does take a little bit of discernment to be able to tell if they're if they're telling the truth about that or not. But you know, there's always those people who like I didn't even know about this. You know, like when when somebody first stumbles upon a legend that they had no idea even existed. To me, that's always is uh, fascinating because that's kind of how it all starts to begin with. Right, yeah, and then, you know, it opens up a new door of, you know, I've seen that where people had a complete disinterest in this until something happened, and not just in the Boggy Creek case, but, you know, southern Sasquatch cases all throughout the South where something significant happened and suddenly they themselves want to research this and find out more about it because they're suddenly on the inside of the, of the mystery. So, you know, those are, those are fascinating witnesses because you, you've seen this just 180 turnaround in their life. So you know that something, you know, had to have happened. Well, we do have a call on the line, and if anybody wants to call in with any questions for our guest, Lyle Blackburn, the number is 508-996-0500, toll-free, 877-996-1420. So let's take this call. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with Lyle Blackburn. Hello, are you there? Hello. Hi. Do you have a question for our guest? Yeah. Um, about six years ago, I watched a movie at a friend's house, and it was supposedly based on fact Richard Gere was the main guy, mm-hmm. and I think it was somewhere in, like, Virginia or Pennsylvania, it was a river a river town, and he started having weird things happening electrically around his house and on his phone lines, and one night when him and his wife were on their way to go somewhere who happened to be pregnant, um, he claimed, well, the person that Richard Gere played the part of, claimed that some kind of, like, um, heavy ghost-like thing attacked his car, which caused the accident. And a few years later, when he returned to the, to the town, to the house, there was a few more deaths related to it, and he finally left the town. Did you ever see that movie or hear anything about that? Because they said it was based on a true fact. I'm, I'm thinking you're probably pretty familiar with it, Lyle. Yeah, you're probably going to have to reiterate that because I couldn't hear him well enough. Uh, he, 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 was, uh, he was mentioning the, the Mothman Prophecies film. Oh, okay. And and about yeah. uh, the, you know the some some of that story is true. Some of that some of that in the in the film. Some of it's true, uh, you know, based on true events, and some of it's kind of fictionalized as well. Right. Yeah. That that's the Mothman prophecies, which was inspired by John Keel's book of the same name. Uh, and in that case, Hollywood kind of did their own. Okay, I'll jump off the line so I can listen to you guys. Thank okay. You. Thank you. Right, I mean that's that's the problem with that is that they take a true story and they kind of add some of their own elements to it. Right, that that's a definite case of where, yeah, it's completely different than the Legend of Boggy Creek, where that's a spin in a well. It's a well done movie because it's kind of a different approach. The Mothman is sort of the background to this weird thing. You know, they don't they don't literally show you the monster, uh, so to speak. So. 
a well-done movie about, but yeah, certainly, you know, if you wanted to follow up on the Mothman, you need to go read, you know, start with the Mothman Prophecies book or read, like, Warren Coleman's accounts of, of those stories and, and, uh, coming up, you will want to see, uh, the Small Town Monsters movie, uh, The Mothman of Point Pleasant, which we, uh, kind of tell the, the history of the, of the major incidents that happened in 1966 and 67. And, and you had mentioned before, uh, especially with the Small Town Monster series, and we just had Seth on a few weeks ago talking about Mothman, uh, and, and talking about the fact that these towns, it becomes, almost like an unwanted part of their identity that eventually they either choose to try to compartmentalize or they completely and fully embrace. Has the area of the Falk monster, has that embraced this story or is it something that they still kind of, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, we wish people wouldn't keep telling that story. (laughs) Well, there's always, you know, some people in the town that wish it would go away or think it's nonsense and you've got certain people that say, hey, it's, it is what it is, let's make the best of it. Uh, Falk itself has kind of had up and, ups and downs. I mean, when the movie came out in the 70s, I mean, the town was literally overrun with people. You can imagine, I mean, if a hit movie and it was, uh, the town's population was like 500 people, and there could be 500 hunters coming down there hunting that thing. So they weren't real thrilled with that, but... Some of the entrepreneurs, you know, made souvenirs, and the local cafes sold a bunch of stuff, and they were like, hey, this hey, this is great. And uh, in recent years, when I started researching my book, in, which started around 2009, there was barely anything to be seen up there. You went to the town, and you're like, this is it? Where's, you know, I want to see a, you know, some, a Bigfoot statue or something. There was just nothing, but... Uh, following the release of my book in 2012, and then subsequently the TV shows Monsters and Mysteries in America, and then the one we did on Finding Bigfoot, it kind of gave a resurgence. And now when you go there, there's a store called the Monster Mart, which has this facade on the front of this giant Bigfoot. It's it's like the coolest convenience store you've ever seen if you're into monsters or cryptids. And so... It's definitely embraced it now. We've done a Boggy Creek Festival there a few times. And, uh, you know, for the most part, the, the town feels like, hey, this is part of our history. You know, whether you believe it or not, it's it's a part of, of, of what we do. And certainly with uh, Point Pleasant, where the Mothman case took place, they've, they've also really embraced it. I mean, the Mothman Festival draws like 12,000 people or something, so... Um, you know, make the best of it, and it gives us uh, uh, tourists something to see when they go there. But if we look back at it too, you look at the original Mothman sightings. You look at, you know, the original Boggy Creek sightings, and, and going back all this time, and the way that those sightings had filtered in. I mean, you're talking mostly about eyewitness stuff. Obviously, Patterson Gimlin, you have this piece of film, but you're talking a lot about eyewitness reports for these creatures. And I know that you've been following up with the first book and with this book as well with the uh, the more modern sightings of the Boggy Creek Monster. How has how have the reports that come in to researchers changed over the years? Is it, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're still getting a lot of eyewitness reports, but you're probably also getting people who are like, I saw something weird on my trail cam, you know, I, I caught this video on my cell phone. We're becoming a more technological society. Is that helping or hurting 
some of the reports that are coming in about creatures? Uh, I think it helps. I mean, it certainly helps people to be more in touch with a researcher such as myself. I mean, you know, I'm associated with Boggy Creek, so people can, you know, more easily find me and convey messages on uh, email or through Facebook or, you know, send me pictures on the phone, you know, text things. So it, you really get that quick um update on if anybody has anything they feel is good to offer. So technology helps in facilitating reports. I don't always have to, you know, go to that town myself and, you know, start knocking on doors. Things will come, but, um, you know, certainly it does create the uh, possibility of, you know, hoaxed footage or a bunch of nonsense that, you know, because of technology, you have to weed through. I've got to go watch YouTube videos or or whatever uh, and try to determine if they're real. But um, you know, it is what it is. So I think it's it definitely helps in at least fielding reports or getting uh, leads. I mean, it's it's tough too because a lot of people who are are good at it, who are good at things like Photoshop and things like that. You know, you can you can create better effects on the phone in your pocket. Then Spielberg had the opportunity to create with some of his films, you know. So it's it's becoming harder and harder to look at something and take it for face value, too. Yeah, and that for that fact, you know, just as far as what kind of things you're getting, certainly they're to be suspect because the technology is there, and that's why I think that at this point, you know, even if there is a really really clear picture, uh, you know, people are still going to say, "Nah," you know that. I'm not so sure, and I, you know, it's understandable because unless there's a body, you know, laying here where we can say, hey, <laughs> no debate about it, there's always going to be that element of suspicion by scientists and anybody else because there's been so many hoaxes, so much nonsense, you know, that at this point, you know, it's, it's like put it on the table or, or it's going to remain a mystery. And, and the hoaxing, I think, is the, the biggest. Because what ends up happening is no matter how great the report might be that comes in and how great the story and the legend might be that gets out there into the public consciousness, it just takes one hoax that gets proven to be a hoax before everybody's just like, well, none of these stories are true then. Obviously, you know, because this this was just a, a Bigfoot suit in a freezer, you know, a, a Halloween costume in a freezer, that means every Bigfoot sighting is wrong. And so that, I think, is terrible unto itself, and it's hard to con- kind of combat working as a as an individual researcher, there's a question in the chat room that you know mentions MUFON being an organization that works together for ufology. And I know, Moniz, you can probably say that MUFON doesn't always work together so well either. Uh, I can definitely <laughs> verify that, Which yes. We know. But is there an organization for cryptid researchers of, of like-minded people that are able to come together, or is it kind of just like a loose affiliation network? Uh, a lot of it is, is a... Uh, loose affiliation, but I mean, there, there's a there's a group, the International Cryptozoology so- Society, um, which would be sort of a place where uh, you can find reputable members, and would be a place that I would consider. Uh, you know, it doesn't have the sort of organization motivation that that MUFON has, for example, but it is something that you can be rest assured of that the information passed around within that group would be uh, good stuff. 
So, but yeah, you know, in general, yeah, it's just a lot of loose organizations. You got and that's the thing. I've seen so many Bigfoot research groups pop up. I mean, there's a new one on Facebook every day. And you know, back in the day, there was you know just a handful. You know, that's you know you you could feel confident that their work was good. Now there's so many, you can't tell what's what. And that's been a problem with just flooding the internet with just all kinds of chatter and people who haven't done their homework sometimes posting, uh, re, you know, rehashing things that have been proven to be a hoax or weeded out years and years ago. It's like, hey, this is, this is you know, something that's, we know this is done and over. But, you know, then since there's no one single group, it's you just have to kind of, every man for himself. I mean, I'm not even kidding. I saw a paranormal group, a, a ghost-related group, that actually said they were going to go out and look for the Blair Witch. I was oh, like, you, yeah. you do realize that that was completely fictionalized, right? <laughs> I think, you know, maybe yeah. they, they might have meant the Bell Witch and they just weren't, you know, remembering. Yeah. Or, I don't know, but still. It's just it's disheartening, you know. It's only a matter of time before somebody uh, starts talking about that great... I don't know if you ever saw that really awesome Bigfoot documentary in the 80s that proved that Bigfoot was real, Harry and the Hendersons. Oh, yeah. Know? yeah. That documentary, yeah, that was a good one. They, I mean, didn't they have, like, one in the house or something? Oh, yeah, it was amazing. And, uh, and he was so nice and lovable and kind. And, yeah, he was really, he's not like one of those southern Bigfoots. He was one of them friendly ones. The the only mystery in uh, related to that movie is what happened to John Lithgow's career as a movie star after that. You know, playing second banana to Bigfoot kind of knocked him down a few pegs. But all right, you know what? What? <coughs> pardon me. Uh, one of the questions that came up uh, in the in the chat room is somebody asked if you have kind of made up your mind about the Boggy Creek monster. If you think that this is a flesh and blood creature that that can be discovered or if you think that it is just kind of a legend that you are uh helping to keep chronicling do you do you do you expect that somewhere out there there really is an actual physical boggy creek monster yeah i i do i i think i tend to think that more often than than other thoughts uh you know i mean i'm i try to remain well balanced and open-minded and and not you know, make assumptions I can't back up. And a lot of times, just the minute I get disheartened and think, you know, this is just, uh, I don't know, I don't know, suddenly I'll get a, uh, a witness report or, you know, I'll experience something strange or something that that reminds me that there is something to this. And in, all ca- in most all cases, I can tell you that something took place. These people didn't make these things up. Um, in some cases, people have very close sightings that I just cannot explain. And I can't tell you exactly what the nature of that creature is or what that entity was they saw, but I can tell you they saw something that wasn't uh, a person in a suit, it wasn't a bear, and it wasn't a shadow, and they didn't make it up. So um, I think there's something to it, and I sort of operate with the theory that you know it is some flesh and blood animal until... Uh, until there's proof otherwise, um, so I think there's there's something to it, and it keeps me, you know, anticipating that just any day somebody will come up with, you know, a photo or or the body or whatever else, 
and, and it's going to be proven. Well, I know that you just said that you, you can't be sure of what it is that they saw, but do you have kind of a working theory in your mind of what these creatures could be? I mean, and I'm not talking about, you know, like uh, nine times out of ten it's a bear. I'm saying, like, do you have an idea that if this Falk monster is real, like what kind of a classification we could be looking at? I think some sort of unknown primate. That's that's kind of where I kind of where I always started in cryptozoology and and still remain. Uh, that you know, it sounds impossible, improbable, yet it's not uh, it's not out of the question that some sort of you know above average intelligence type primates have you know, hidden away in the bottom lands and the, the mountains of this country and are the ones responsible for the sightings. And then it will turn out to be simply that, a, a biological creature. And, you know, like I said, in some ways it may turn out to be six feet tall, five feet tall. You know, maybe it's the startled, you know, the witnesses are startled and it could be a, a little more, less, monstrous than we may imagine I don't know but I think that it is some sort of primate and that being said then do you think a lot of these kind of regionalized creatures are they all probably interconnected then I think so I think if if something for example if we want to operate under the theory that uh, you know the Gigantopithecus or some large ape had come across the Bering Strait and distributed itself across the pockets of the U.S. They would be of the same, you know, species at one time, but have developed specifically for their environments. So that you know what you have in the Pacific Northwest is not necessarily exactly the same as what is a skunk ape in Florida. You know, because the environments are so different, and that would explain some of the variations in descriptions and some of the um, uh, traits such as some of the wild ones in the south have been seen walking on all fours at times and you don't you don't get that as much in the in the northwest but yeah so I, I think they would be interconnected and just uh, isolated by their own environment and therefore have you know evolved a bit to be specific. So the uh, the new book is Beyond Boggy Creek, and uh, you can get it from LyleBlackburn.com, and you can also get the original book as well. It, we also have the, the Small Town Monsters movie. Now, that one is uh, has already been released? Yes, the Boggy Creek Monster uh, came out last November, so that's you, know, you can see that on uh, streaming on Amazon, on Vimeo. Um, we're also, it's also going to be hitting some new formats, too, and if you are a connoisseur of these type of things, you can, of course, purchase the DVD from, uh, you know, through my website or through Small Town Monsters. And it's and, and as we've talked about with Seth before, it's you know it's going to be a an ongoing film series, so it's a great thing to start collecting. So you can add that to your shelf and, and put that up there with uh, with all your other uh, monster movies. Uh, and if you're somebody like me that likes to, you know, kind of keep the the true stories mixed in with the with the fictional stories, that they make a nice... And it's always great when somebody comes over and says, Oh, what's what's this? What's this all? I've never seen this movie. That's because it's a documentary. That's because it's the true story. And the next thing you know, you're you're telling them all about the all about this, and then all about the next creature, and all about that. Uh, so what, what else do you have uh, coming down the pike? What's, what's coming up next for you? 
Uh, well, I've been just, you know, doing a lot of promoting of the stuff. We're working on the Mothman film. Uh, a lot of a lot of stuff coming up with just some appearances. I'll be at the Ohio Bigfoot Conference uh, next month in May, and then uh, a lot of appearances in the fall at the Mothman uh, Festival and uh, International Bigfoot Conference in Washington. So just a lot of uh, travel, and in between that, just uh, investigating, uh, you know, reports of creatures and carrying forward with... Uh, documenting and following these fascinating cases. Well, we uh, we certainly look forward to uh, following more of your work as well, and we thank you for joining us tonight, Lyle Blackburn. You can go to his website, lyleblackburn.com, if you want to find out more, uh, and we have it linked up on SpookySouthCoast.com as well. That's where you can get the books, you can get the DVD, you can find out more about everything that's coming up and see links to all the upcoming events that uh, Lyle will be at as well. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Definitely. I appreciate you having me on. All right. You have a great night, and we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. All right, that is Lyle Blackburn again. LyleBlackburn.com dot com is the website. Uh, we I, I wanted to uh, kind of make sure that we didn't miss the chance to cover this topic uh, before the end of the night. We only have about eight minutes left in the show. <coughs> Excuse me, it's better if I cough than keep trying to talk through whatever that was, whatever that sound was. Uh, but I want to make sure that we did get to the story uh, before the end of the show. Ross sent this into us a little bit earlier. And I'm going to kind of just, I'm going to try and read this as fast as I can. This comes from the Associated Press. A self-described psychic who scammed more than a million dollars in cash and valuables from a dozen people she promised to protect from dark forces has been sentenced to eight years in prison. An Ohio judge gave 42-year-old Gina Miller the maximum sentence and ordered her to repay $1.4 million before her Thursday sentencing in Plainsville. Miller apologized and asked Judge Vincent Collada for leniency so she could care for her two sons, including one she says has a mental illness. Quite simply, you don't deserve leniency, Collada said. You deserve to be punished. Defense attorney Louis Carlozzi said Miller's fortune-telling was part of her Romani culture, and she, quote, took it as a step too far. The prosecutors described Miller as a con artist. An audio tape from a former client who had worn a wire for mentor police was played in court, and the woman could be heard asking Miller what would happen if she could not make payments. This is a direct quote. Your grandson would die, Miller responds. Miller pleaded guilty in March to an aggravated theft charge and the scheme prosecutors say operated for 15 years. They say she targeted vulnerable clients, convincing them to pay her in cars, Rolex watches, and a diamond ring in exchange for protection. Another former customer, a 72-year-old woman, told the judge she works two jobs to pay off credit card debt after giving money to Miller. She has ruined my life, the woman said. I cannot live long enough to pay off the debt. On recordings of meetings between Miller and an undercover agent also played in court, Miller can be heard asking for $180 for crystals to improve the agent's luck. Stephanie Burke. Hi. <laughs> as the person who does this, uh-huh. and as a person who is, as far as I can tell, uh, not uh, Romani culture. Uh, no. I, I don't think I know anything about that, about you having any of those. No, 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 I'm not a gypsy. So uh, what was that quote again? Uh, she took it a step too far. I don't think it has anything to do with her Romani culture that she no. made it a step too far. No, I think that's just gross to blame it on the culture. I think she's just a jerk. This is... I'm trying my best to censor this, what I'm This I'm is feeling. what I can't wrap my head around uh-huh. because we've talked about it in the past. Right. We know that there are people out there who are fraudulent. Absolutely. Who claim to have psychic and, and mediumship gifts. Mm-hmm. We know that there are some people who... 
and we've talked about this recently, you know, there's, there's people who don't even realize sometimes that they're fraudulent. Some people think that they're... I think there's truly people out there that believe that they have some sort of gift and they're just taking people's money for it. Or as we've talked about in the past, that sometimes people might have a little bit of a gift right. that they just... I compare they that... They fill in the blanks themselves with their own beliefs. Absolutely. I compare that to, if anybody's ever seen those old school episodes of... American Idol, when the people come on and they think that they're the greatest singer on the planet and they're shot down by professionals and they can't understand why. It's the same mentality. But this is totally different. This is just straight up disgusting. I mean, how does somebody fall for it to this level? I mean, how does somebody say, okay, this lady says my grandson's going to die if I don't give her a Rolex watch? Because they're just vulnerable, gullible, lonely I don't know. I I don't understand it because obviously I don't fall for that sort of thing. But there are people out there, especially like, you know, certain cultures believe that, you know, these things do happen. A lot of cultures and a lot of people believe in hexes and curses, too. And they will do anything to avoid it. So a con is a con any way you look at it. It's just that this person's using this particular method to con people. There but, be- but- like most of the time when somebody ends up becoming a mark for a con artist, like I can kind of see where that plays into – like I can understand how people get wrapped up in some of these schemes. But I don't know how you can get wrapped up. Maybe it's just because I'm fundamentally skeptical well, of, of the people con who have artists, abilities. The con artist knows. <sighs> see, that's – A lot of people will literally – and this is – I was just discussing this with somebody the other day about how um, if you go to a psychic or a medium – and that's the first and only experience you've ever had. That's what you have to gauge it on. But now you've created trust with that psychic and medium. So you just keep going back to the same one over and over again and believing that that's all that's out there. Until you meet somebody else that has an actual ability or better ability. Well, what's worse is if somebody actually goes out and, and say somebody goes and sees somebody that actually does have abilities. Right. And that convinces them that it's real. And then this person just happens to be the next person that they go to see. Right. And, and somehow still finds a way to dupe them. So... But that's my point is, like, do your research. Look around. If something isn't 100% dead on, no pun intended, then, okay, I'll, I'll even be fair, 90%. Then don't buy into it. Don't, like, don't tell me, oh, I just had a friend text me the other day. She went to a house party of someone that I'm aware of. And, um told me, oh, yeah, it was hit or miss. They were like 30% accurate the entire time. Why did you waste your money? Why did you continue to sit there? Why are you sending people to that person? All they're doing is taking your money. Nobody should ever leave any type of reading and say they were only 30% accurate. Cars, Rolex watches, that's, and that's a diamond ring. mind-boggling. In exchange for protection. It's one thing that's if, it's, it. if but, it's that you're making a connection for them with somebody who's passed on. And, which is even more disgusting. However, this is just plain like, uh, hi, I sell my crystals for like a dollar a piece. Right. I, and that's just because. Well, and apparently she needed 180 crystals for this one person. Right. I, I don't even understand that. So, I mean, maybe she's one of those, like, we went into that store where they had some pretty expensive ones. Maybe she's one yeah, of those Yeah, but, I mean, nice those, are, those are rare and very, um, very well, large, large pieces. Well, somebody else to put the bill for it. But that, that's just crazy. But this, is, this isn't just to, 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 to prey upon grief or whatever. This is to protect them from dark forces. That's- There's people local 
that have done that over the past like five years that have been caught by the cops. It, I don't get how they're still in business and how they continue to do these things. But they're getting, they're getting some people are just cars, good at what they do. I guess Rolexes, diamond rings, cash. All of a sudden, I, I'm feeling something's say, popping you, into my head right now. Are you seriously Any, in the wrong profession? There's somebody out there right now that has a Rolex watch that they are willing to give to me to protect them from dark forces. So, I'm I'm trying my best to be really good right listen, now. Listen, I have a Rolex watch. Yep. And it's as fake as this psychic. <laughs> but it only cost me 20 bucks, and I was glad to pay it. That is awesome. All right. Well, that does it for this week's uh, show. Uh, we do want to make sure that we give away those tickets to the Provincetown Paracon before we go. So we talked about the Boggy Creek Monster tonight with our guest, Lyle Blackburn. Uh, we also mentioned earlier in the show that it's the 50th anniversary year of that famous Bigfoot film. So if you can call in, be the first caller to tell us where that was filmed. Tell us where that film, I'm not going to tell you the name of it again, you'll have to look it up, but where was that filmed? 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. You will be the winner and you will get a pair of passes to the daytime portion of Provincetown Paracon coming up in a couple of weeks. And speaking of coming up, we will have another show coming up next week. Our guest will be Dr. Scott Kolbaba. We'll be talking about Physicians Untold Stories. And we'll be back then. Stay spectacular.